the big thing I learned there was we always look at each other and go, well, make an executive decision. And you'd have to make the decision like that. And not knowing any better, I think was probably the best thing that we could do because it just allowed us to kind of learn as we were going along and apply things as, as we were learning them. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors, and together we partner on all of my deals. If you enjoy the podcast, give me a rating. Also, a review would be very, very much appreciated. And don't forget to like and follow me on social media. I'm pretty much you know, active on all of them, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. So you can find all my social media links and the show notes on my website, ellieperlman.com. Now, before we start the show today, I wanted to personally invite you to two of the events that I'm going to be speaking at. The first one is called Multifamily Investor Summit, and that's a pretty cool three-day online conference that's going to happen um, June 27th until June 29th. And it's a great place for you not only to gain knowledge about real estate investing, but also to meet and network with other passive investors and with syndicators. So if you're going to use the promo code Ellie which is E-L-L-I-E, you can get $100 off of the full access pass. You can find tickets at www.multifamilyinvestornation.com. Now, the second one is an event hosted by my good friend, Adam Adams, called Raising Money Summit. So that's going to happen in Denver on October 3rd until October 5th. And if you use the promo code Ellie again, you can get 30% off until the end of June. And then it goes down to 25% in July. So what I love about this one is that it's going to teach you everything you need to know about raising capital. So as a syndicator and an investor, you can learn the real secrets behind raising millions of dollars from investors and syndicators that actually did it. So you're, you're going to have takeaways from tactical strategies so you can go out and close more deals in less time. You're also going to discover the proven methods professionals use to create win-win deals and partnerships, and you'll be able to stop worrying about how you are going to fund your next real estate deal. So don't miss this premium conference. It can definitely be a game changer for you and help you to dominate any niche of real estate. So if you, again, want to use the promo code Ellie, you can get 30% off this month, the month of June. You can get tickets at www.raisingmoneysummit.com. All right. So I think by now we're ready to start the show. 
So our guest today is Matt Perry, born and raised in Deerfield, Massachusetts. Matt grew and started his passion for real estate when his family moved to Atlanta, Georgia, as a high school student. So while enrolled in college, along with two college classmates, Matt created a real estate investment group that focused on the mid-Atlantic from Baltimore, Maryland, down to Atlanta. Their portfolio grew to over 100 projects a year and 300 doors, and then dissolved via cash out in 2014, just two years after graduating from college. Matt then began a career in commercial real estate investment that had him spanning the globe on a variety of different projects across all asset classes. Beginning in 2018, Matt took a position as a director of operations for the AA Real Estate Group in Boston, Massachusetts, overseeing their acquisitions and development team. So Matt, what an awesome success you've already you know, created for yourself at a young age. I'm really, really excited to have you on the show today. Appreciate you having me on today. Absolutely. So today, Matt is going to share with us a story about how he kind of stumbled upon, you know, real estate and how he started his, you know, company while being a full-time college student. And then we're kind of going to talk about how to build and manage an acquisitions team. But first, let's start from the beginning. So Matt, can you share with our listeners, you know, how you started a business while being a college student? Uh, so, you know, first of all, I always am, I'm very fortunate to say that I always kind of look back at the thing and wonder what if, if I hadn't been at the position in the place that I was. So my story is very unique in the fact that right place, right time, in that I just was one day I was minding my own business in my college dorm room watching a uh, Boston Red Sox playoff baseball game. We were in the first week of basketball. I was a division one basketball player and we were in the first week of practice and I had just come back from the gym for a practice session was just really looking to have some downtime. I didn't have a TV in my room so I had to go down the hallway to the common room to watch TV if I wanted to. And I'm watching the Red Sox game lying on the couch and these two guys kind of are going down the hallway to their room and they walk past me and I don't think anything of it and they both actually double back and say you're on the basketball team right? And I'm wearing all my basketball gear. I'm in the sweatshirt, the sweatpants, you know, my gym bags on the floor. I'm like, yeah, not really sure where this is going. They said, I'm wondering if we could ask you a question. Okay, I'm thinking it's going to be something basketball related. Would you actually introduce us to the basketball coach? That's not a question you hear oftentimes. That's not a question you're expecting to get from another student. So naturally, I was a little inquisitive. I said, sure. Can I ask why? You know, long story short, we have this app that we just kind of created. We want to be seeing if it would be of all interest to the team to use it during your practices, during your games throughout the course of the season, and just see if the team would have any focus on. We've been reaching out to a lot of people in the area, and we thought the basketball team would be an interesting one to reach out to, and you're here, so why not ask? So I introduced him to the coach. Our coach at the time was a little bit of a prickly individual to use appropriate language and the meeting could not have gone worse truth of the matter our coach was completely disinterested he didn't get why we were there he thought it was a complete waste of time and acted like it was a waste of time so as we're leaving the meeting i kind of felt like not only as a person who set something up but then as a member of the basketball team i had to apologize to these two guys so as i'm walking out and apologizing to them they say not a problem we've actually kind of run this a lot we're not really looking to use it in sports. We want to use it in real estate. 
didn't really go any further with it. And then I bumped into one of the guys, I think it was the, not the next day, but the following day, or at least that week uh, in our laundry room, in our dorm building laundry room. And he was saying, you know, as I said before, we're, you know, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for doing it. Don't worry about it. We are really looking to use it in real estate. And I said, well, I know a lot of my high school classmates down in Atlanta. One of them or two of them are heavily involved in commercial real estate. If you like, I'd be happy to introduce you. His eyes lit up. Like I, he thought that was the greatest thing of all time. He's like, yes, absolutely. How quickly can you get them on the phone? How quickly can you get me in touch with them? What needs to happen for this? And I, I kind of felt bad. It was like, I got to call my buddy. You know, he's got to call his mom. You know, it's not like this is instantaneous. Let me give him a call here in a few minutes when I get back up to my room and, you know, see what we can do. I think within two weeks, we actually had something going where they were getting guidance on the real estate. And very soon they came back to me and said, is this something you'd be interested in doing? And it was pitched that they had created this app that was going to look at the area that we were in, and it was going to evaluate all the properties in our area around our college. And it was basically going to look for properties that were deemed undervalued or were had a potential to be greater in the market compared to what prices were selling for. And this is 2008, late 2008, almost, well, it was really the winter of 2008 going into 2009. This is the really the, the, the beginning of the analytic period, so to speak. It was interesting. It was intriguing to me. I, I never thought, truth of the matter, if you had asked me back then, I would have said that this is just going to be something I'm going to do for three or four weeks and it's going to come to a natural end. There's nothing really going to come of this and it's just going to kind of have done it, learn something and move on. But within that month, we were setting up a business. We were looking for investors and we found our first property. And less than two months later, we were real estate investors. So it all happened relatively quickly. And every single day, it was just kind of like, is this where it's going to end? Is this where it's going to end? Because you just kept thinking there were going to be a, a roadblock coming up. How does a 20-year-old and a couple of 19-year-olds go out and raise money? Well, that didn't end up being a problem. How do 18 or 19 and 20-year-olds, how do they convince somebody to sell them their house? That wasn't the problem. How does a 19 and 20-year-old... How it wasn't the problem. Yeah. The first one was is that we found a... We found like a... I think he was in his late 70s, maybe early 80s, a guy who had complete distrust of the banking system after the financial collapse, had pulled oh. all his money out of the bank and literally in his closet had stacked up his entire life savings and they were there in the house. And... He was a little bit of an odd duck and we thought it was an odd duck, but then he took us into his back room and showed us his closet and was like, I've got funds available. What do you need? How can we make this work? Wow. This is amazing that someone would trust, you know, a bunch of college kids. Exactly. And I remember just looking at it being like, why is this here? Like, why? Like, why do you have all this money? And then he got into it and it was, you know, he was thinking that his bank was going to go under, that the banking system needed to be completely changed that it was time for a change and that the whole system was going to go down and the seeds of dissent were around and he felt more secure having his money there. And it was very loony as all get out. But the idea to pitch him saying that we can get you a better rate of return with what we envision doing than what you were getting at your bank. You can give it to us, lend it to us. We'll protect it and secure it with real estate. And you can get a better rate of return than you were getting at the bank 
but you don't have to worry about the banking system going down because it's secured with a piece of real estate. Mm, so, interesting. A little bit of a risk, but yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's it's pretty phenomenal that, you know, I un- kind of understand the seller's, you know, point of view and, and the, he was taking a risk with you guys because... Yeah, absolutely. And we kept realizing it being like, this is huge risk. Why would you want to do this? And, you know, I mean, I remember, I still remember to this day what he said is that I'm just that old and that crazy. <laughs> so... I was like, I was That's like, whatever all you works need for you, you know, to do your first whatever, deal. Yeah, whatever, whatever works, whatever works for you. But again, it comes back to you. Okay, so that wasn't the roadblock. Now going out and finding the property, you know, and trying to convince a 19-year-old kid with really no real money behind him to sell them a property and have the ability and trust that they're thinking that we're going to close. I thought that would be the roadblock. It wasn't. We found a guy who had worked for one of the major furniture companies who were headquartered at one point there in High Point. I went to High Point University in North Carolina, and the whole furniture business had been wiped out in that area. So all these people were losing their jobs left and right. And I remember coming to, when we had to found this guy, he was sitting on a couch in his front yard drinking a beer. And I pulled up with my partner and I looked at him and I was, this is completely not what I'm used to coming from, you know, the prep school world in Atlanta. This was foreign to me. And I remember looking at my partner, Mike, and going, do I need like, do we need like backup or security to go meet with this guy? He's just sitting out smoking a cigarette, drinking a Paps on his couch there, having a grand old time. And he was like, yep, nope, lost my job you know, packing up the dog in the truck and, you know, we're out of here in three weeks. You want the house? By all means, what number works for you guys? And I remember looking at my partner, Mike, at the time and being like, well, what's the number, Mike? (laughs) And he was the numbers guy. He had a number in mind. We pitched it to the guy and the guy took, you know, a long, you know, drag on his cigarette, looked at his dog, looked at the two of us, looked back at the dog and said, I think we can make that work. What do you know? And so it's like, again, I remember going back to my room and calling my dad and being like, guess I'm a real estate investor. <laughs> not, not really sure. But how did you get mortgage? How did you get a loan? We had the private money from the bank, from the old guy. He was going to lend us the money to buy the property and fix it up. So all of a sudden we, we have the money. Now we have the property. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, I don't think I slept a w- one minute of sleep that night because I was so worried at that point in time. It's like, we just bought a house, like that, that's crazy. Like, and I just remember thinking, you know, going through all the scenarios in my head, what if it burns down? What if like a hurricane, you know, I remember even Googling, do hurricanes come up that far in North Carolina? Are there earthquakes in North Carolina? And just always going through my head of like, what can go wrong that all of a sudden this isn't gonna happen? and then doing the rehab on it and everything like that. I just kept thinking there was going to be a natural roadblock that came up with this, but there never was. But and nobody, I assume nobody had any experience in fixing homes or doing None. anything because you, Not you were all, you yet. know, guys from, from college, student, college students just yep. buying a house and fixing it. The funniest part to the story was, is that we thought we were going to take this $150,000 home and we were going to turn it into like this $300,000 home. And so my partner was like, yeah, we're going to put in a jacuzzi tub. We're going to put in, you know, Viking appliances. We're going to, you know, do a huge walk-in closet. And we met with a realtor who was going to help us, you know, kind of appraise the home and, and do all that. And she looked at, I remember 
look, you know, standing over there in the bedroom and she turns to me and goes, this house is $225,000, no more, no less. And my partner's standing in the kitchen going, but it's a $300,000 home. And the realtor's like, no, you know, she was a sweet old lady. She said, no, dear, I'm sorry. It is never going to be more than 200 and I think it was $230,000. That's like the highest number you can get. And I don't even think you can get it in this market. So figure out what you're going to do with it. So instead of a jacuzzi tub, I think we put in like a very cheap, not even you know, ceramic thing, but like plastic kind of the over the tub to make it look a little cleaner. I, we cleaned out and put new appliances and we made it look better, but it wasn't like we were doing all this work that we thought we were going to do. And at the end of the day, I think all said and done, I think we netted about $1,000 before taxes. And I think it equated to, I think I made 300 and something dollars total after paying out the taxes individually. And we just, I remember us just looking at this after the check, after we picked it up from our attorney's office and just looking at it as going, we are rich. Let's go have a party at the fraternity house. We are in great shape. We're in good shape. This is going to be a bang up weekend. And we threw the, the largest and best beach party in the history of that. And that was how we celebrated that. That was for us success. Little did we know that a neighbor two doors down saw what we did and wanted us to buy his house. So now we're starting to go a little bit. And that, that's how it kind of took off. And-, and that's how we got started. And it came back to, again, that it was like, well, we're just going. And when you're that, when being that inexperienced, I think helped because, and, this, and it sounds crazy to say that, but if you're inexperienced and you know no better, and you're just kind of making it up and making the decisions on the fly, it doesn't give you the chance or the opportunity to get so far in your head or to be worried if you're making the right decision because you don't have time to think. You just have to act. And if it doesn't end up being the right thing, you react and move on from there. So the big thing I learned there was we always look at each other and go, well, make an executive decision. And you'd have to make the decision like that. And not knowing any better, I think, was probably the best thing that we could do because it just allowed us to kind of learn as we were going along and apply things as, as we were learning them. Instead of trying to do all the learning, fit everything into a perfect little box and make it work, instead of just going out and actively doing it and learn by doing it and then apply it and realize what's working and what's not working. So for someone who is just starting in real estate, what would be your advice? How can they find the the kind of right, you know, the sweet spot between not being overly paralyzed, you know, by information analysis, by paralysis, but also not just going out there and and not thinking about anything and not being getting the right education or teaming up with someone that has the right experience? And there's three things I would say to that really quickly. The first one is know what you do better than anyone else. Know what you can do right away that no one else can do better than you right away and do that one thing. If you are really good at social media, get really good at honing your message on social media. If you're really good at just picking up a phone and calling somebody, pick up the phone and start calling everybody who you can possibly think of and every number you can possibly find. Number two is, I would say, as you mentioned, don't allow perfect to get in the way of what you're trying to do. Be afraid to fail. I think so many people in, this, in real estate, when they get started, 
you know, want to make sure everything is perfect, want to make sure that everything just fits and they never actually bother doing it because they're so caught up in getting everything right. They never actually put into practice what they're doing. And number three is just actually doing it. You know, one of the things I, I, I've come to learn in this business is everything is practice until you bought it. If you only go so far of just getting somebody on the phone, play it all the way out. Pretend like you, even though that seller hung up on you, still go ahead, write up the offer, present the offer to a mirror, present the offer to a dog or a pet, a wife, a friend, whoever the case may be, act like it's real. And so when you get there and you have already played everything out in your mind, you already know what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And if you can visualize everything that's going to come up, when that time does come, you've already practiced that objection and you know how mm -hmm. to overcome it. That's a very, very good advice. And then I want to kind of, you know, go back to that time where you're a college student and you're actually an investor. Did you see yourself as an entrepreneur? Did you look at what you were doing at this venture as a business? No, I would say it probably took about a year to get to the point in time where I myself saw it as a business. You know, because I kept thinking at that point in time, I was still a full-time college student, a division one basketball player and a real estate investor. That's a lot cramming into a 24 hour day. And I just kept thinking there's going to come a point in time where I've gone so far and I can, you can go no further. But if you're constantly believing and enjoying what you're doing, that hurdle becomes further and further and further and further away. And there's no immediate roadblock that you're hitting up against that's going to stop you and prevent you from keep moving forward. Why stop? And I think it actually came a point in time where I went home for two weeks in between my freshman and sophomore year where I was working mowing the, law, uh, the hills of a local college up here in Massachusetts and like the first day I came home and I was like, I'm done. This stinks. This is not what I want to be doing. You know, I'm had made a lot more money doing something else. I don't envision myself ever having another job. Like this is what I wanted to do. And that was when I realized, wait a minute, I am an entrepreneur because that was the first moment in my time where I realized I didn't want to have to report to someone else. I wanted to go ahead and create something for myself. I didn't, you know, the, the whole thing about punching in, punching out, that didn't apply, that didn't appeal to me. So actually starting to see yourself as an entrepreneur made everything more real and realized that I had to put a little more confines and a little more structure in place in order to understand where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And did you? Yes. That was the hardest and first real lesson that you just can't, you can no longer just make it up as you go along. You have to have kind of a, a construct, an organization with which you're working around and a kind of an understanding and a vision of where you want to go and where you want to get to. So can you talk a little bit about what you've done there to actually take it to the next level? From there, it's really actually trying to figure out, okay, so this is what I am. I think of myself in, in three different ways. Number one, you know, have something that you're, you're chasing. Have something that you're constantly trying to strive for. Number two, have something that you want to be excited for. And number three, always be willing to evaluate where you are in the present. 
Because when I was thinking to myself as an entrepreneur and growing a real estate company, I don't want to be content with the present. You know, when we started to do, I think when we hit our, our 50th deal, we all just kind of looked at each other. And this was maybe a year, maybe two years into it. And we remember thinking to ourselves, like, this was great. We just did our 50th deal. Can you believe what we did? And I remember asking, you know, just putting it out there. It's like, how are we going to feel when we hit our 100th? How are we going to feel when we hit our 200th? What is it going to feel like when we bought our first, because we were talking about at that point in time, buying our first multifamily. What is it going to feel like when we bought our first real multifamily and we're automatically generating cash the, the very second we bought it? And if you're content with what you're doing and not evaluating and thinking how you can move forward, you've already failed. Because if you're not thinking how you're growing and you become content with the stagnant, you know, where you are, as an entrepreneur, you failed yourself. So you always have to be evaluating and you're pushing yourself forward. And I never want to evaluate myself of what I'm doing now. You've always got to ask me in a couple of years or how are you happy now? It's like, well, yeah, I'm happy, but I, I could be happier. So ask me again in three, six months down the road, and I'm going to keep pushing it further and further down. Yeah, I cannot agree more. I think a true you know, entrepreneur is never satisfied with what, where they are. They're always looking you know, for the next you know, challenge, the next step, how they grow, how they scale. I know that there's the whole phrase of um, the whole concept today of lifestyle entrepreneur. I think I don't see how lifestyle entrepreneurship are even in the same sentence. No. They cannot. You, you see so many people nowadays who, who they talk about, well, for success for them is that they're able to take 150 days off a year. But, okay, that's great. That's the type of person who is going to be motivated by what they can do. I'm motivated by what I can do nonstop working and what I can do for 10, 15 years down the road. So my measuring stick is always going to change because I'm not so concerned with working towards a goal. I'm working towards a life event or I'm working towards something else. Something you have not achieved yet. Exactly. What I haven't achieved yeah, yet, yeah. that's what I'm chasing. Yeah, exactly. I think it's the athlete in me that I don't look at my competition as competition. I look at myself as competition. I'm competing with no one else but myself. So if, if I think somebody else is out there working harder, I want to work harder because they're doing it and I'm challenging myself. So I always challenge myself and say, great, you did this, but you, you know, how are you going to get to the next step forward? I see the world exactly the same. And I, I actually look at the competition. I don't see them as competitors. I see them as, I see them as inspirations. If they, you know, if they made it, there's no reason why I can make it. No, and it just, no. it just shows you how, what you can do and even beyond. Yeah. And that was the thing that I realized when I got into the commercial world. And that was a completely eye-opening experience for me because I just thought I was this little bubble and, you know, we had sold out. So, you know, really, did I have to go to work? No. But getting outside and seeing that there are more people out there who are like that was so inspiring to me because here was a whole new level to push myself towards. For so long, I, you start here and then you push yourself higher and higher and higher and higher. And then you realize that there's a whole other echelon of people up there that are going to push you even higher and higher and higher and higher. And if you can surround yourself with people on a daily basis and put yourself in the company of people who you aspire to be, you're only going to get to their level. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about who you hang out with and who you surround yourself with. Absolutely. Great. So we don't have a lot of time, but I wanted to kind of touch on managing an acquisitions and development team, which is what you do today. So if you can tell us, you know, how can someone who runs an operations or wants to hire people to help him grow their investment company, what are the the things or maybe the f- the first few steps that one needs to do in order to build a solid you know acquisitions operations and, and team i would say the biggest thing is don't try to hire someone who is just like you don't try to find your clone in the world who you can just basically do a data download to and have them go out and do it that's not going to work you have to go out and be willing to take a lot of different types of people with a lot of different backgrounds and figuring out what motivates them and what they're trying to strive for and why they chose this business. Because it takes a unique, a very unique individual to want to do real estate investing. There are not a lot of people who go to school or when they're a little kid, they're asked, what do you want to be? Most people are going to say fireman, cop, you know, whatever. Very few people say, I want to be a real estate investor. So I think it's willing to work with people from diverse backgrounds who aren't just like you and figuring out how you can work with them and use their backgrounds to achieve what they want to achieve. And I think that's so interesting. And if you look at our team as it's currently constructed, nobody comes from the same place. We all come from, you know, one guy from Haiti, we have one guy you know, who was a baseball player. We have another guy who's a construction guy. We had another guy who was just graduated from school and wants to do this. And they all come from different backgrounds, but they all gel together because they have a common purpose. They have a common mission. They have a common desire in life to want to do this. And I think so many times investors want to find their exact clone because they feel like they did it. So if they can go find somebody else like them, they're going to have higher success. And that's not the case. You can't duplicate yourself and expect to do it that way. The second thing I would say is don't allow yourself to get caught up in trying to manage them directly. Let them go out and do it. Let them go out and make the mistakes and then be willing to coach them on the backside. Don't get so caught up in wanting to micromanage them and do the deals for them, but rather coach them through what they did and what they didn't do well. You know, the big thing we do ever in our office every week is we role play, but they're not role playing with a team. They're role playing directly with me. So if they say something, we stop and we evaluate and we coach it through right there. And so I really think that that's kind of the way to do it is be more hands on, but allow them to go out and do it and then bring them back and say, okay, where are you? What are you doing and how can you do something better? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that with my listeners. So I think that's all the time we have today, Matt. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So for our listeners, if they want to reach out to you, where can they find you? They can find me at Matt at the A at AA Real Estate Group.com. M-A-T-T at AA Real Estate Group.com. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And we'll stay in touch. Thank you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.